Hello and welcome to the Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast at the Faculty of Law, where we address innovation and the law from three angles, people, technology and business. My name is Berdine and I'm here today with my co-host Alexandra and Nina Ries, who is a PhD student in data contracts at the Faculty of Law of the University of Copenhagen. And this is the 101 episode on data. So can you explain us a little bit, what is data? What types of data do we have? What do our listeners need to know? I think the first thing that's the most important thing, at least I've learned about data, is that data can be basically everything. Um, and it's very important to have as broad as possible a concept of data. Because what we see now of a potential of data is that we can use everything to put into um, digital processes and then we can get amazing insights out by conducting data analysis. And I think actually the EU have become quite big on data regulation and have actually kind of made a pretty good um, definition of data that basically says it's any acts, facts or information um, that can be used for digital processing, which can, you know, be anything. It can be words, it can be drawings, it can be sound, basically anything that you can put into a computer. So my voice right now on this podcast, I'm I'm turning to data. Yeah, in principle, because you can, um, I'm not exactly sure of the technical process, but you can always work on uh, sound bits, for example. That's if you want to convert, for example, speech to text, that's what you do. You need big data sets of speech. Cool. Yeah. And then what we hear about a lot is this um, idea of personal data. So is this because right now you hear my voice? Is it then personal data or, or what is this? Well, you can say the distinction between personal data and non-personal data is probably the oldest data distinction that ha that we know of. Um, because in 1995, the EU began enacting legislation, the Personal Data Directive on Personal Data. Wait, 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 in 1995? Yeah. So that's 27 years ago. Yeah. Wow. We're quick in math, eh? <laughs> Exactly. Um, and that was because at that time already we began to see different types of computer systems and we began to see that there might actually be a risk when you have a lot of personal data, which is basically any data that can identify a given person in short terms. Um, there is some kind of risk in how you can, um, you know, find facts, find people, find out things about them, how you can kind of collect them to um, find different trends in, for example, very very personal information, such as uh, race or sexual orientation or things like that. Okay, so personal data is then in that sense data that can identify a person. Yeah. So it's easy. Exactly. And then what other data do we have? Well, then generally uh, the distinction has been, been between the personal data and the not personal data, um, which is perhaps not the most useful of the distinction because then we basically just have this very big mass of data that's not ident identifiable to any specific persons. Um, and that has generally been what the EU has been doing for the last 27 years. I guess that now we see a tendency that people begin to also work with a third category of data, um, which is what we find in the proposal for a data act that was proposed by the commission in February 2022 where they also talk about data that is generated from Internet of Things devices. So that is basically these kind of devices where such as smartwatches um, or things like that, which is kind of, that's what the Data Act applies to. So it kind of has its own special category. 
Um, but we don't really know how big it will be, if it will also kind of work out in some of the other regulations. Okay, Nia, can we can we go a little bit more into the detail here? Because, you know, so what is this, what should our listeners imagine, right? Behind the notion of this IoT, Internet of Things data. I think what they should say is everything that we have a physical device that has incorporated some kind of technology inside it that generates data. That's what it targets. Um, however, it does not target um, cell phones or um, computer like laptops, for example, mm-hmm. which are kind of, uh, I don't know, that's actually a good question why they're not. But I think the rationale behind the proposal was that all of these kind of things that we perhaps don't think collect data, um, they suddenly collect a lot of data. And for example, smartwatch is very intimate data as well. Um, and especially if you have more smart devices. So if you have a smartwatch, you have a smart fridge, a smart lightning system, suddenly you have this very close system where if you have all the data from all the different devices, if they're, for example, owned by the same company, then they have a pretty good idea of what you're doing in your day-to-day life. Undoubtedly, I think this is one of the things why uh, I never personally wanted to have any kind of smart I think that my smart uh, gadgets end with a phone and maybe um, some smart watch, I think, because I always was a little bit paranoid in a sense of, you know, having videos at home that or some kind of sound uh, system that can record you, can listen to you. Uh, knows when you are at home, when you are not at home. There were a couple of cases also in the U.S. where this many cameras, right, mm-hmm. uh, that were to observe the well-being of the kids that someone hacked into and started to collect data on the behavior of the kids. And, you know, and I don't want to imagine how these data could be ultimately misused. Exactly. And I think that's also why we have kind of, even though we have had the personal data directive for 27 years, suddenly now with the GDPR, which has replaced the personal data directive and basically has the same ways of protecting just with a bit more strong fine regime, is because we now have the kind of same potential for violating privacy, but just at a much larger scale and also much more invasive than they were in 1995. Yeah, that's True. In that sense, I I agree with you, Alexandra, but it's not always that you can prevent it. So I I never wanted any devices that were owned by big tech, so to say. So I bought a Roomba, you know, Mm -hmm. like the vacuum cleaner. You have Apple items. I do. I do. But in my house, like I didn't want a smart fridge or anything the same way. But I did want a vacuum cleaner that was automatic. And I thought it only had an app Mm -hmm. until recently it was bought by Amazon. Exactly. And I think that's also a thing that people are perhaps not aware of, that actually a lot of the big tech companies have for many years made smaller acquisitions of different companies. I think there was also a US case where um, one of the big tech companies bought like, um, I don't know, a firm that was uh, making radiators for like heating. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, it wasn't personal identifiable data, but it was just about people's heating habits. And if you kind of perhaps have that data, you can make some pretty good analysts on, on that as well. Yeah, so so definitely what what Roomba now, for example, does, it knows in my house what kind of furniture I have, how I like move around, if I leave stuff around. Probably knows I have two cats because they're sometimes in front of the Roomba. Um, so that's a lot of personal data. So I think what I would like to to steer it now is um, 
of course, you you mentioned that this first regulation is 27 years old or mm-hmm. the start of, of this type of regulation. So I think people have heard maybe about GDPR, this name, General Data Protection Regulation, but there's a lot a lot more history to this. Can you tell us a bit more about the different incentives to regulate? So you mentioned that now we have social media platforms, different types of data. Mm-hmm. How was it back in, in, what is it, 1995? What was the incentive of, of regulation there? Well, I mean, the first one was, of course, the personal data. And the other old data regulation that we have from that time, from 1996, is the database directive, which was, of course, a way to um, have a kind of intellectual property rights protection um, of data and databases where you put a lot of effort and investment into um, protecting um, a lot of data that you had collected. Um, and often it had like a different type of protection than the usual um, intellectual property right protection which protects creativity. But this um, new protection also protected investment. And of course, the incentive for making that regulation was that data actually has value. And especially when you have these very huge data sets, it has a lot of value. So you also began to see this economic incentive that we actually have um, a valuable asset that we can utilize. And that is also one of the things that in the new data regulation we see um, has kind of come into force and into play and contradicts sometimes a lot um, with the protection of personal data and the like more fundamental right protection. So I just want to... Also, maybe for our listeners, when you say that we can utilize the data, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? That's one point. And the second is all the data that we have valuable. Yeah. So for the first one, the the most basic way to say that we can utilize data is that we can analyze it. So basically, we know the same thing as lawyers. If we have data in the form of different legal sources, we can read that, read it, case law, for example, mm-hmm. and find a tendency. You can do, a computer can do the same thing, but normally on much bigger data sets yeah. and much faster um, and sometimes also much more correct. And that not only applies to law, it can also apply to weather data, traffic data, any kind of place where you can analyze data. So what we gain of value from data is actually just insights from data analysis, to put it very basic. Mm-hmm. And then, then based on this kind of maybe comparison, would that mean that all of the data that is out there is valuable, depending if you know how to use them and how to analyze them and how to apply them? Yes, um, in some sense, but I think it's very context-based. So okay. it depends on who are you and what are you collecting the data for. So, for example, me, um, I could collect data on the weather. I don't have uh, the knowledge to program a computer program that can analyze this data. I'm not even sure who I should you know, sell my weather prognosis to or whatever. So for me, it wouldn't be valuable. But perhaps for a big shipping company, perhaps that wanted to make a weather app that was kind of suited for the shipping industry, it might be valuable. So it very much depends on if you know what you want to use the data for, if you have an idea for, for example, um, an analysis algorithm, um, for example, then it's very valuable. Um, but but it very much depends on context. Um, and I think the kind of disadvantage of that is that a lot of companies are right now very protective of any data they have and they don't want to give any data away for free because they don't know they might be valuable in some sort of construction um, or potential future scenario Mm -hmm. Um, 
which is, of course, good to be aware of. But sometimes also if you kind of, for example, negotiate IT contracts, it becomes kind of like this weird power struggle of having the data just because they want to have it. Okay, so you mentioned like be this kind of a recent phenomenon in a sense that companies are aware that yes, data is valuable mm -hmm. and that they want to retain it and they want to control it and they're a little bit uh, yeah concerned in a way that okay, but we don't want to give it away for free. Yeah. Now, could we also translate this to us, like natural humans? Is there also do you observe a trend towards people being more aware that they're personal, mm -hmm. but also non-personal data or general data is valuable and is there movement in a way and does the regulation, in other words, also empower us to retain and control our data? Yes, I think there's a clear tendency um, and I think that was also one of the things that the GDPR brought that it had more strict rules towards, for example, consent. So the basic principle in the GDPR is that if someone wants to process, use your personal data, they have to have a legal ground to do that. And that might, for example, be that you give a consent for them to use that. And um, so that's at least one tendency to like strengthen our kind of ability to control our own data. We have also just seen um, the new um, direction directive on the um, sale of goods mm -hmm. um, and the totally new directive on um, digital content that enables consumers um, when entering into consumer contracts um, actually kind of um, makes data and the payment of data um, the same as a monetary transaction. So that okay. you can say also actually go and um, exercise your different rem remittal rights um, in data contracts that are monetary free because you pay with something else. Okay, could you give us an example how a consumer could do this? Yeah. So, I mean, it could, for example, be that um, you make a profile on a social media platform. Um, you don't pay anything for that. Um, you mm -hmm. just give your personal data. Um, and then you normally you have given a product for free, so you don't have any rights if this product doesn't function as you want it to do. Um, but with this new regulation, you would actually have the ability to exercise rights if it didn't work how you intended, for example. Okay. Um, it might also be perhaps social media platforms might be... Um, e-books, software programs, um, apps, things like that. I think this is a, a great new insight that even I didn't have um, in this regard. So if we are to close today's podcast, if there is one thing that you would want all of the consumers, so, so not the companies, but regular humans like us, to know about data and how to protect them, what would be that one thing? I think to know that all data has value mm -hmm. and that you should always be cautious before you give it away. On the other hand, I also think, and that might be um, a bit more capitalistic way of seeing it perhaps, that what we get from these new technologies that improve our life, automatic vacuum cleaners, uh, smartwatches that track our fitness habits or whatever, um, they also only function if we give the data. Um, so we also have to kind of make the choice. Do we want these new technologies that make our lives easier, make our lives better? Or do we care more about our, our right to privacy and the right to be private? And that's, I think, something that the EU re legislator is also struggling with. But I think also a lot of just normal people, I struggle with it. I don't really know if I should be more integral towards my data or if I should just enjoy my smartwatch. 
Yeah, I think in, in, in that sense we can conclude it is the same way as the Danish state takes like the blood samples of babies, right? To develop more knowledge in the medical fields and it's anonymous for mm-hmm. people, but you get so much out of it in a medical field. So maybe in that sense we should serve as the leeches going forward to a better society. Um, thank you so much, Nina, for coming today. Thanks. And thank you to all our listeners and we hope you are... Um, enlightened on on data and we look forward to also the next deep dive episode on data with Jan Trasowski. Until next episode. This is Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast at the Faculty of Law of the University of Copenhagen. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and your favorite podcast platform.